Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. What did I say? Save this for the pod. Jason's like, oh, this is the pod. Motherfucker. The pod. (laughs) We're all the pod now. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh man, I got so Minotan. Close. Minotan, the Minoan civilization. I'll start that one again, but I don't know. Greek. I'm not going to start it again. Uh, you can find us at Trilove Podcast on Twitter. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema or at Trilon.org. Get tickets, merch, and other ways to support the Trilon at that spot. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. I'm a lazy person, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I was always number one in grade school, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry Mackin. When I was five, I ate a can of expired pineapple, and now I have to make podcasts. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. And I'm Aaron, and Harry just took mine. You can find me on Twitter at RB Please. I don't remember that line. Well, it, it happened to uh, the um, the convict. He had to when he was five. He ate a can of expired pineapple, and it, that's why he doesn't talk anymore. Yeah, that's why he can't talk anymore. You know, you know Aaron, you. Aaron. I know how you can make up for this. You can also not talk. I was thinking about doing that as a bit, to be honest, but I I figured it it wouldn't really translate because I'll be waving my arms and stuff, but this is an audio medium, you know. We're going to pivot to video before long. Yeah, save it for the video. Today, we're talking about Fallen Angels, uh, the next in our One Car Y series, 1995. We're at roughly the midpoint, right? There are, what, three or four films left in his filmography, Um, and Aaron uh, is going to drop that summary on us. Yes, not quite in his filmography, but left in the series for sure. Um, and and this was a film, Fallen Angels, 1995, directed by Wong Kar Wai, uh, originally conceived as a kind of a third section uh, for Wong Kar Wai's uh, 1994 film, Chungking Express. Um, but Fallen Angels is kind of another film that takes a look at love, longing, and relationships in Hong Kong. Uh, similar to Chungking Express, Fallen Angels is a film that tells two interdependent, but kind of... Uh, thematically and emotionally related stories. Uh, the first is about the relationship between a hitman named Wang Chi Ming, played by Leon Lai, uh, and his partner, played by Michelle Rice, uh, who cleans his apartment when he's gone and scopes out the uh, kind of the geography and the feeling of the buildings in which his hits uh, are going to take place. As their business relationship continues, his partner grows increasingly infatuated with him and also increasingly jealous of his new relationship with a woman known as Blondie, played by Karen Mock. Uh, the second story is about Ho Chi Mo, a kind of mentally ill man uh, played by uh, Takashi Kaneshiro, who is also Cop 223 from Chungking Express, uh, who is mute and lives with his father. During the nighttime, he breaks into different restaurants and businesses and forces people that he meets to buy his products that he basically stole from the businesses. Uh, he meets another woman named Charlie, uh, played by Charlie Young, uh, who matches his eccentric personality, but is in the middle of getting over her ex-boyfriend, Johnny. Uh, that's what I got. 
Jason, you got away. this. You got this. You got that. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed this film. Uh, I have not given it a letterbox rating yet, but I feel like having watched Chunking Express prepared me to just let these two, two stories exist apart. Um, and then rather than, you know, watching them with the intent to connect them later, I was able to start putting pieces together and, and you know, building some connective tissue there, which I felt helped me, uh, you know, grok it the whole thing a little bit better. It is uh, funnier and much more violent, or at least like, I guess, gruesome and, and explicitly violent than the other one car wife films we've seen. And both of those, I feel like really worked for this one. It feels like a little tiny niche in the filmography, you know, sort of because it calls back so often to Chunking Express. It feels like a very, like his own movie for his own ends. Um, I am very curious about like what that means in the larger scope. I know that uh, several people on this call have, uh, have seen more of his films than I have. Um, and this is my first time watching any of them. So I'm not quite ready yet to like put together the larger portrait of Wong Kar Wai as a filmmaker, but this movie definitely is sticking out even, even from that perspective, uh, as I don't want to say like a one-off because I hope that pieces of this, uh, show up in later films in, in, in the series that we're going to be going through. But, uh, I, I know that it'll be, I don't really want to call it a crowning gem just yet because I know that the quality of the uh, filmography is going to fluctuate as we go. But anyway, a uh, long way to say I really, really enjoyed it. It was um, it, the, the aspects that set, set it apart from the previous films in the series have really they're, they're dug into in a way that I feel really, really brought this one home for me. Um, Cody. Jason. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, as for my experience, I hadn't seen Fallen Angels before yesterday, um, at which point I watched it on the Criterion channel. And I will certainly watch it again someday whenever I pick up the uh, long-awaited Wong Kar Wai box set from Criterion. Um, and I, as it's been alluded to already on this episode, um, this uh, this movie feels like an appropriate and beautiful extension of Chunking Express. And that we're zoomed in on a handful of people, their relationships um, with each other, and visually kind of the relationships they have with the city they live in. Um, of the films we've covered so far for Wong Kar Watch, uh, Fallen Angels feels to me, it feels most like uh, something coming from and or hugely inspired by French New Wave um, of, you know, the ones that we've covered. And that's oh, wow. And that's for a handful of reasons, um, but it's ultimately through the same ways uh, that we've seen Wong Kar Wai kind of defy conventional narrative filmmaking up to this point. He's just really, I felt really leaning into it here. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily a film I like more or less than Chunking Express. Uh, I, I love them both for what it's worth. Um, but as far as the commitment to the style, the the leaning into it, so to speak, I thought really helped to further sell that uh, in fallen angels and that could just be like a mechanism of me having watched more of his movies um so that's possible too um i love the continued framing of cities as defined by individuals and their ideologies and their histories um we spend i think more time here just sitting with these characters and these uh like these sights and sounds and cityscapes than we did in in chunking and in all the ways that watching chunking annihilated my sense of time and space fallen angels did even more so um the uh, the experience this time felt more reliant on my perception of the environments we were spending time in and it wasn't even it wasn't even a matter of like i have an exact image of how this city looks on a map which is how i felt with chunking and even with like his tears go by to an extent but i did feel the same sort of wonka uh, wonka yearning in spaces that were a little more intimate um a few restaurants we go to felt that way uh to me and even the ice cream truck felt that way to me um i'd personally love it if a stranger fed me ice cream till i died but i guess i'm different um 
but I, I guess the uh, the taste. Oh, speaking of eating, uh, the taste I'm left with when I think back on Fallen Angels is the the final line um, when the which is spoken by the killer's agent uh, as she's credited. I think she says at uh, at that moment I felt such warmth, which uh, is such a lovely way to leave this movie, and it matches the energy I took from it as well. Um, the sort of grace and recontextualizing yourself and your relationships, and still finding a sense of sanctuary. Um, but all that being said, I'm looking forward, uh, of course to hearing what the rest of y'all took away from this movie. Yeah, I think both Jason and Cody covered a lot of what I have to say. Um, in a lot of ways, this is maybe the, the most awkward on-ramp for Wong Kar Wai. I would say definitely watch Chungking Express and probably some of his other films before you watch this one, uh, as if you haven't. But that being said... It is, to me at least, so far the most realized of Wong Kar Wai's style. I think that this is it. It's like a referendum on Wong Kar Wai himself. Um, it's like maybe the the best evidence that Wong Kar Wai knows exactly who he is and what he's doing of all of the films we've watched so far. Um, it is like a sequel in the truest possible sense and sort of is... Um, Wong Kar Wai staking his claim as a great sequel maker. I mean, I don't know how you begin to... Um, critique this movie without a contextual understanding of uh, Chungking Express, it would be fascinating to do so, right? But like, this is such the dark shadow of Chungking Express that you kind of need to evaluate both, which is why it makes so much sense that this was originally supposed to be part of Chungking Express. Um, the way that characters work, the way that cities work, the way that um, emotions work in this movie, and particularly I identity and identity as defined by romance and defined by profession and as defined by um your relationship to your city and to the other people around you it's all like it's so realized in this movie like it's it's taking from vocabularies established and um ideas already played with to sort of like finally make this um, this almost larger historical sort of human point, which is something that I think Wong Kar Wai does, especially in his later films, like In the Mood for Love, um, that like you really get a sense that Wong Kar Wai is not only building films, he's also building sort of an overarching ideology of people and of yearning and of like longing and what it means to be a person in modernity um that it that actually is enhanced film by film and that makes this really special right because this feels like sort of a stopgap realization of everything we've been talking about even more so than chunking express at least for me i mean uh chunking express is like one of my favorite movies i already said that but this felt like it's like chunking express 2 in like every sense right where it's just like it's it's like a more realized even sort of more thoughtful more expanded version of that and it is way darker and way more violent and way more interested in in the whole spectrum of um implication at at stake here instead of just sort of the dreamlike ones which is really cool and so i agree with jason i think i love this movie um and i'm super glad that we get to talk about it yeah, I would I would agree with you. I, I think that if you are watching this movie before watching Chungking Express, I would I would put it on pause and go watch that. Um, I feel like it is. It, I mean, it, 
Wong Kar Wai is, is, is like said very much that is like a companion piece that they are kind of, uh, you know, a, a, this movie is kind of like creates a double feature with Chungking Express. I think that's very apparent. Um, I think that I like this film slightly more so than Chungking Express, which I liked quite a bit. Um, but you know, it is kind of the, the film that is the most obvious comparison in Wong Kar Wai's, uh, filmography, at least that I've, I've seen so far. Um, it, it feels like it is in a lot of ways, uh, kind of the best realization of some of the themes that he's been looking at, uh, specifically, you know, kind of the, the intersection of the public and the personal, um, how technology impacts, uh, both of those, um, how technology impacts communication, uh, enables it and kind of hinders it. Um, this film is, is very voyeuristic in a very interesting way. I think that's something that he's, he's always kind of done, but I think his movies generally, as you watch them chronologically, get even more so. Um, I find a lot of that very interesting. Uh, this also kind of continues Wong Kar Wai's uh, talent for creating what I think a lot of people call just like a vibe. Uh, it, it does so without slipping too far uh, or at all into self-parody. You know, that there's a lot of very fast camera movement um, and kind of interesting filmmaking techniques that are then uh, immediately followed up by uh, scenes of extreme melancholy. And this kind of juxtaposition is, is kind of this, what I consider like the core Wong Kar Wai experience in my mind right now. Um, I think there are maybe a few moments that approach I don't want to say like self parody because that seems like very negative, but there are, no, but, but like in a weird, good way, right? I because we'll talk about that. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like no, I totally good. get what you mean. Um, I think mostly in a good way. I think there, I've read criticisms. I think more so of Chungking Express than this film, um, and I think we even talked about a few of them. But like, there are. I think I think it's understandable if somebody were to kind of uh, uh, maybe not take to some of the the stylistic stuff in this film. Uh, or Chungking Express, or frankly, any of the films of his that we've sure. watched so far. Um, but but that being said, I, I think that this is kind of a, a you know another progression uh, in his talents as a filmmaker. Um, you know, I think that even the stuff like I think his characters are more interesting in this film than in his previous films. I really love Ho Chi Mo. Uh, the character feels like an especially high point. Um, it, Absolutely, it's a character that could be kind of a stereotype. Uh, based on the, the characters, who the character is, and, and, and his situation in life, but it isn't one. Um, so I would I would put this next to uh, personally Days of Being Wild as his best film that I've seen so far. That being said, we haven't seen In the Mood for Love, which everybody says is like the best shit ever. So um, yeah, I, I, I like this movie quite a bit. Once again, Camp Dabwi. Um, I wanted to start off by talking about the vibe. Uh, that Aaron mentioned, because I think that's a really important on-ramp for, I'm using weird highway metaphors, maybe because uh, that train and the highways are kind of a part of this movie. But um, I just like, it's it's so important to talk about the way that Wong Kar Wai shoots his characters and shoots his cities, right? Like, Cody, I think you alluded to this, but like this, this movie is like a series of small rooms, right? Like, we get to see the city in transit, sometimes and we get to see city streets in the rain when they're walking to and from apartments and stuff but for the most part this is like a series of small interior spaces and we talked a lot about what apartments represent in Wong Kar Wai movies and what sort of like um like rooms in general and interior spaces represent this is a movie that like it takes the the Chungking uh express sort of like 
understanding of interior spaces as reflecting this sort of like um, solipsistic or um, self-involved, like not understood um, interior navigable space and takes it to like its logical extreme, right? Where like they even talk about, even on like Wikipedia, how, how these characters are always shot so close up and with this like fisheye or like wide angle lens to, um, to uh, suggest their own sort of like, like interiority and, and uh, dissociation from the world around them. Like these are characters who are totally navigating their own spaces and they make each space that they inhabit their own, right? Like that bar is, is like the heart of this relationship that is only seen uh, as ships passing in the night. And like apartments are symbolic of who these people are inside and uh, the city and the way that they navigate the city is supposed to be symbolic of who they want to be and who they aspire to be. Right. And so like all of these, the city and the characters are like, fundamentally um synchronized in a way that is really important to the way that we understand these characters and especially the way that narration operates in these movies um which is similarly taken to sort of uh, almost a self-parodying extreme but in a good way in this movie in the sense that so much of the character dialogue is interior monologue and so much is is from so many different perspectives that sort of fall in and out of the narrative but in a good way in a sense that like we don't have one Uh, unreliable narrator in this movie we have like five right and that's so interesting also and it works so well with what he's doing with the city itself i uh i don't i don't know if i made this comparison it feels like a very weird comparison to make but it i think there is like a an interesting uh kind of parallel thing that wong kar wai is doing that you could compare this film a lot to like a lot of like later terrence malick films uh, does that feel like a super weird thing? Like no, not at all. I mean, like to the wonder, it be- because like the emotions are exterior, right? Where where it's like like literally like the way these people feel is reflected in like the world around them and stuff. And, yeah, and also they're like kind of like telling you it at the same yeah. time over the it, top. exactly uh, right, like Days of Heaven. Yes, uh, it, it. I I had this thought. This is like not totally not a criticism, but like, can you imagine if Wong Kar Wai had made this film when like vape rigs were a thing? like neon blue (laughs) like it every single character would have just been vaping with like the most colorful shit in the world like it feels weird that there is not like a a a vape rig i don't know i don't vape but that that was a a thought that i had um but i I don't if i don't know if you want to talk about the apartment stuff because i think what you said specifically with like the idea of like these these kind of interior spaces and how characters kind of adapt to them. Uh, I think that is like really fascinating stuff uh, specifically in this movie. Um, Very important. Right. The idea of like the best way to get to know somebody. That's, that's like a thing that like characters repeat in like Wong Kar Wai movies all the time. It's like, how can you get to know somebody? Uh, Is it ever truly possible to get to know somebody? And what this movie is essentially saying is like, there's like a very dark point. That's like maybe the best way to truly get to know somebody is just by like going through their shit. Right. Like I I can meet with somebody and talk with everybody uh, or talk with somebody kind of over and over again every day. But like, I bet that if I looked through their internet search history, or if I read their social media messages to people that I would maybe get a better handle on who they are as a person in that. And that integrates so well because these characters are also so performative, right? Like, like the killer, like, uh, Wang Ching, Chi Ming, 
like his whole identity is an affectation, right? And sort of similarly, the agents, although the agent is is different because she's subliminating her personality through this relationship that she has in order to feel genuine. And like part of her anger with Killer is that he doesn't want it anymore. Um, and that is threatening her own sense of identity. Um, Cody, you wanted to say something. Sure, yeah. And um, I, I think the two of you have, kind of characterize this idea really well. I really just wanted to jump in and, and provide a, I think a piece of support to that and there was one of the the early one of the early shots from Fallen Angels that jumped out to me and and was a weird not weird but like a, a distinct table setting for what I felt I should expect and I think at the time it was me reading into it too much but then it like ended up I just I happened to come away with it feeling um justified. There was uh, you know, in the early scenes, the agent is going through Wang Chiming's uh, apartment, cleaning, snooping, um, etc. And there's this shot where, um, I, I guess our POV is from outside the apartment. We're sort of at where we're off the ground, looking into the apartment, and that's occupying like the the left left hand side of the frame. The right hand side of the frame is just the the skyline of the city uh, at night. And then that shot is duplicated later once Wang Chiming comes home, uh, and it's it, instead of seeing the agent's silhouette in the window, you see his silhouette. And it was this sort of at the time, it felt like this this sort of meta. Um, you know, footnote for the viewer to say, like, there's a certain marrying going on between the exterior world that we might be used to from something like Chunky right, Press, right. You know, like the 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 work, you know, coming immediately before this and ultimately being like the the spiritual predecessor to you know being the the first half of the story. And these shots felt to me like they were saying, like, okay, there, there's a, a, a certain you know mental mapping of this world uh, a certain showcasing of this city that you are used to and now we are going to look inward a little bit more and i just this sort of visual hinting at like the the interiors of these people's lives these uh these apartments these uh restaurants these uh ice cream trucks like that is going to take the place of that and ultimately like communicate what like the exteriors maybe would have before, if that makes which is, sense. Yeah, which is so important too, because it's really important to note that these characters are literally fallen further than the characters in Chunking Express, right? Like I kept talking about yeah. the the natural, like logical conclusion um, of of the sort of like thing that was be- begun in Chunking Express. And this is actually like, it's, this is the story of the characters almost getting to the point where those characters in Chunking Express start, right? Where at the end of this movie, um, Ho Chi Mo, uh, Takashi Kaneshiro's character, he ends up at the Midnight Express, um, which is, which is again, sort of symbolic and a, a symbol that's, that's inherited from Chunking Express as like ready to finally sort of like reconnect and sort of like, like understand people again. Right. But so you're right. Like this, this movie sets up the vocabulary of like, okay, you understand the relationship between interiority and exteriority as established in Chunking Express. Now we're going to go way further to the extreme. And that integrates so well with the, um, the mental illness that's at large in this movie, right? Which, you know, we, we should probably have little um, content warnings here. Like we're probably going to talk about mental illness in some ways that are maybe not um, like super sensitive, right? Because it's very much like movie mental illness. Like these are characters who are like, like big scare quotes, crazy. Um, but 
that's like an important element of this, uh, where that comes from and where it goes and, and, uh, and how they um, understand themselves in the city in association with it. But um, I think now we're going to do the, uh, um, the Aaron Grossman, Wong Kar Wai, um, what does the F stand for? Look, it, it, I went to school for, for six years in order to learn the skills in order to, to set up the proper name of this bit, which has too many words, and I should have shortened it down. I should have trimmed it down to just a few, but it is the Aaron Grossman Wong Kar Wai Film Department Quality Index, uh, the, the kind of bit that we've done over the past few episodes looking at Wong Kar Wai's films and looking at the apartments portrayed uh, within them, uh, which are becoming... I don't know if the fellows agree with me, uh, increasingly uh, important to the nature of the films that we are watching. Uh, just a of course we reminder. Of okay, course we I would hope that, uh, yes, I would hope so. Uh, as tears go by, Waz Apartment got a two. Uh, sorry to just contextualize everything one more time here. Days of Being Wild, Yeti's Apartment got a six. Uh, Chunking Express, Cop 663's apartment got a five. Uh, so we are seeing, I think, uh, uh, statistically, if you were to look at that, you were seeing potentially a general trend uh, in kind of an, an upwards manner, right? And I think a lot of this is due to the kind of socioeconomic uh, status of the characters that Wong Kar Wai is portraying. Uh, specifically, Wong Chi Ming uh, in this film is very, he very pointedly says that he's not a rich man because the the kind of work kind of comes and goes, but um, the money certainly isn't bad. And I think compared to a character like Wa from uh, As Tears Go By, who's kind of this very low level gangster, I think there is a, a pretty clear kind of class difference there, right? Um, so when we take a look at this apartment, uh, there's kind of a few things that I want to note. First is that the quality of an apartment is not inherently based in the socioeconomic status of the person that is inhabiting the apartment. So, I, you know, that, that's kind of a general thing. I don't just want to say, hey, this person's rich. They got a nice pad. They get a 10. Um, but there's a few aspects of this that I, I think we should maybe talk through. Um, the the first of it is that this is specifically Wang Chi Ming's apartment. The one I'm taking a look at is a total pad. Place looks dope. I think we can all agree on that. Like, it just looks like a cool space to live in particularly uh, the views yeah it, it's it's nice right like so it's this it's it's always shot in like this manner it's kind of this long hallway apartment i'm trying to think and to think of what to compare it to it's kind of like if you like hollowed out like a like a diner you know like a long like like bar yeah. diner you like hollowed it out you lifted it up in the air you made windows like 360 all around it um, it is, it, it's a very paddable apartment. I like the long hallway structure of it. It does look very cool. Um, it is, I mean, Wong Chi Ming is kind of a mess of a person, right? Like he relies on his, uh, partner, uh, to kind of come in and basically clean up after him. I think there is kind of a theme that Wong Kar Wai has been building, uh, uh, specifically of like professional men who rely on the women in their lives in order to kind of keep their lives together in between their work. Kings. Um, yeah. They're called Kings. I, you know, uh, pro- they're problematic Kings maybe. Um, but like, I think there is something there, right? Like even as, as far back. Absolutely. As, like, yeah. That's a really good point. Wild. Well, now even his tears go by cause she fucking cleans Wa's apartment and fixes glasses and everything. And it's like, uh, it's symbolic of like, of, of immaturity and also like an unwillingness to like do the work of being a person, or like literally establishing yeah. an identity, right? Like, especially in Chunking Express where like, uh, the cop is like literally just in a dream world. And so like, <laughs> that's reflected by this. And like, to a lesser extent, the killer is, is absolutely that too, right? Like he even says like, I'm a lazy person. I like people to tell me what to do. I don't like having to make any decisions of my own. That's reflected by the fact that he doesn't even clean up his own fucking apartment. 
Uh, please yeah. don't, please don't look at uh, how clean my apartment is right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, when we when we release the video version of this episode, you're gonna uh-huh. you're gonna get owned, buddy. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it is interesting. I think it's also it also ties into the kind of the externalities of the the violent lives that they live, right? Where like they're constantly just getting blood all over their clothes and their sheets, and like it is up to somebody else to kind of clean up after them when they are done. I think that is like very interesting. Um, that being said, I, I am docking Wang Chi Ming a few points for that. Um, he also has, I, I don't know how this ties into the score, but he has, uh, uh, boob pillows, uh, pillows that are literally just like the top half of women, uh, on them. I, I, I guess I'm like generally aware these things exist, but like, I've, I've not met anybody where the breasts exist. No, the pillows specifically. <laughs> the, oh, okay. Okay. The, the visualization of them on pillows. I was like, all right, dude, interesting design choice. It's, uh, but I guess it's good again, problematic, but it's pretty funny. It's a pretty good bit. Yes, it is. It is a very, I think good bit. It like kind of um, makes sense given how he feels about women. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was, uh, I was all ready to give this like uh, an eight, maybe a seven, like a seven or an eight, right? Like this is a cool pad. This is a good place to live. Um, I think he gets docked a few points for relying on his partner, kind of cleaning up after him. But, the, you know, he docked two points for that, three points for that. I think this is, it was seeming like it was going to be a seven or an eight out of 10, the highest yet. Really interested in that. However, I did think about it. And there are 360 windows, which does look really cool. However, it would be extremely annoying to watch movies or play video games in that apartment. Blackout curtains are expensive. You'd have to budget for that. That's actually going to dock another point. Uh, I'm going to give him a six for his apartment. Whoa, that dropped real quick. I'm sorry. Just like, can you imagine, even if you had blackout curtains, it would look ridiculous. Just like curtains yeah, on yeah. every single wall of your apartment. It would apartment. be like the film Sunshine. <laughs> do you think that uh do you think his partner had a key to his apartment or was it just extremely easy to break into I, now it was it was i wanted to bring that up because it's sort of scratching at what we were talking about uh with regards to like the internalities and externalities of the world and its people yeah you can just reach into the broken window of this guy's apartment and get in in fact that's how he gets in and how right she gets oh yeah i well. forgot about that yeah like and that's a detail that i loved and i just i was just like oh that's funny like imagine just some drunkard walking into the window and like reaching in thinking he's going to find something useful and finds it's... finds the key like that is how recklessly and comfortably and confidently these people live in right. this, in this world in this life which is such a great irony uh and maybe we can talk about this but yeah. like because he's the character who can't actually be affected right he is the affecting and not the affected which is his yeah. problem and like the way that everybody comes to hate him is the fact that like he he actually like the irony of his character is that he says he's a lazy person. He says he likes to let other people make his decisions for him, but that's not actually true in the sense that he is not allowing himself to be changed by his relationships. And the moment they become too much work for him, which he, he uh, details by saying that he is tired of digging bullets out of his body because it's exhausting, which is an all time line. Um, he he gives it up and that sort of sets in course the the events and so it's it's really funny that like his interiority is so accessible because it's actually not right um and also i i would just like to point out sorry aaron uh real quick that like it's so funny that in the movie that follows up uh fei wong uh breaking into an apartment to meticulously clean it and uh like those are the biggest and most iconic scenes in chunking express in the sequel 
the female equivalent, the the agent partner just masturbates in this dude's apartment. There's something so like hilarious and profane about seeing masturbation in a Wong Kar Wai movie. It's like, wait a minute, like that's supposed to be a metaphor. Like, what are you doing? That should be a, a plane or a can of pineapples or eating salads in the middle of the night. It's like everything is already a metaphor for that Wong Kar Wai. You don't have to like do it. It's like a Prince song. When when Prince talks about sex, it's like redundant, right? It's like everything was already there. Uh, Frank, Frank Zappa has a quote uh, because Frank Zappa was known for in, like ludicrously inappropriate. Just even like the song names, like should we censor this on the on the, the album? Uh, and and people were asking him about that, and he basically said like songs have been talking about this stuff. I just say it very explicitly. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, it it is very much that where it is kind of like uh, Wong Kar Wai has always had kind of the uh, emotional feeling of what is going on here. Uh, but now, yeah, you just, he's just, uh, going it, which is like, it's him. so, it's so perfect for this movie in particular, because this movie is so much about that, about like yeah. making things less romantic and more explicit. And even sort of like to the point of, of parody or humor, right. Where like, like Takashi Kaneshiro is perfect stunt casting because he's the most ridiculous character in Chunking Express. And then in this movie, he's literally crazy. Like he's, he's just like, like out of his mind. And the reason he's that is because he ate that expired pineapple, which is what his character in the last movie did. Like, it's so funny. Like this is, it's a movie that is, is so interested in being a referendum on Wong Kar Wai himself. Um, and in the process, it enhances everything that Wong Kar Wai is about. Right. Yeah. Uh, Wong Kar Wai very specifically, uh, actually quickly, I took this from the book that I brought up on every single one of these episodes that is well, kind of the only research that I'm, that I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do here, uh, because it's actually a long essay on the works of Wong Kar Wai called The Intimate Spaces of Wong Kar Wai by Mark Ooh. Siegel. It is in the book At Full Speed, uh, Hong Kong Cinema in a Borderless World. Uh, very good book if you are, uh, like me watching a lot of, uh, Hong Kong uh, films kind of in a row as I'm doing. Um, and specifically, there's a quote from that where Wong Kar Wai was talking about this film and he said, most people harbor a secret curiosity concerning the intimacy of others and dream of penetrating their homes without being seen in order to discover mm-hmm. who they are, what they do. Um, and there is this kind of, I mean, I mentioned kind of the camera being voyeuristic, right? But I think that Wong Kar Wai is very interested in voyeurism in general and kind of this very... Oh, yeah. It feels very Hitchcock or like Lynch, right? It feels like like extremely vertical velvet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I think that I, I kind of brought this up before, but it so many of Wong Kar Wai's characters express frustration at the inability to know somebody. It is ironic that the the way that often you get to know somebody is through their things, or at least the characters in in his films learn who people are by checking their receipts, by cleaning their their apartment and their clothes and whatnot. Um, And and the the kind of personas that people show to others in public are kind of tied up in the uh, uh, inherently impersonal nature of those public spaces, which is also juxtaposed with the like increasingly crowded nature of public life, specifically uh, Hong Kong. And also their relationships, right? Like, like there's this, there's this sense that like relationship actually gets in the way of knowing people, right? Like there's that tension at the heart of Holland Angels where it's like, can our professional relationship and our personal relationship integrate or like, will they get in the way? Like these characters are, are adamant about the idea that they can't have a personal relationship because that'll fuck up the other one. Um, And so like, there's this sense that like, you can't actually know somebody until you, they don't see you. Right. Because like your being there alters the way that they come off. Yeah. Uh, There's like that super interesting point, maybe unrealistic, but I I think like an interesting uh, thematic thing that happens uh, kind of midway through this film where 
two women uh, are walking uh, and kind of cross paths with each other and stop and turn around and they they know who the other one is instinctively oh, man. because they smell the same perfume, right? And they they both know that like, wait a minute, uh, I, I you are also seeing the guy that I am maybe not seeing, but I have a relationship with. And that is like a super interesting way uh, for like a non-visual sense to kind of bring an understanding of two characters together. I, I like that scene a lot. You know, I'm going to uh, bring Cody back into the loop by asking, that sounds a lot like French new wave, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, I would say, uh, yes, the, the sort of rubbing shoulders as a means of, like transferring uh like the narrative attention uh onto someone else uh, like it's not i don't think this is as blatant as well okay i'm gonna back out all the way and say i'm not like an expert on um anything for that matter uh much less french new wave what um, i think uh, um i think one of the most uh like annoying things of of taking film classes in college was hearing like academic recitations of what French new wave is. Um, that was so painful. And it also just clashes with how uh, I and probably many others learn um, I, I, the, the general, I think catch all is that, you know, if you, the basics of French new wave is that it's, it's experimental. It, uh, the idea is that it, you know, these filmmakers are rejecting um, kind of like what I said earlier, just like conventional means of uh, capturing like narrative uh, filmmaking, um, narrative, you know, a feature film and like Wong Kar Wai gestures at a lot of that. I think, like, I think we can all uh, agree on that, you know, th- even down to like the camera work, the very intimate, like I was floored at the start of fallen angels when the sort of cockeyed angles, the very intense close-ups, the sort of herky jerky handheld didness of it all like that was that's just all that was happening and it, it was the horse ebooks everything happened so much was immediately what went through my head <laughs> um but uh and that that sort of um narrative attention um the brushing of shoulders and chunking does it as well where it's like we're we're picking these moments out and we're saying you know i cross paths with this person you know we touch shoulders or we're 0.1 centimeters apart and then that's who we're focusing on um one of the first new wave uh films i saw was um Truffaut's shoot the piano player and as sort of like an extreme example of what like new wave can bring to the table is like we spend the opening sequence with a character and that character is then dropped we're immediately brought to somebody else we don't see that first character again the rest of the movie um just sort of adding to the like absurdism. There's a lot of absurdism uh, in uh, well, Wong Kar Wai movies and also new wave. And I think the, the new wave works that feel more palatable are the ones that maybe um, lean into things like absurdism. And um, you know, you can dish off narrative attention onto like different characters in an ensemble, as long as there's still some sort of like uh, a, familiarity with like the narrative flow of things that's i think that's personally that's why something like um godard's pierrot le fou is like so widely beloved compared to even the rest of his movies um and for myself as well because it's it's absurd but you know you're still able to um there's still some semblance of like a, a cohesive plot uh, and i i think like chunking and fallen angels bring something similar to the table where um fallen angels you can still have uh you know dust ups in diners um where everybody is in this all out 
brawl or food fight or whatever the hell was going on. Um, but at the end of the day, we're still with these characters and they still have arcs. Um, anyways, that those were those were sort of my takeaways. Maybe they mean something. Maybe they don't. Uh, Aaron, did you want to say something? I was just going to say that, that uh, uh, and I, I mean this in the most lighthearted uh, comedic way possible, not actually criticism, but uh, there has never been a more brutal baton pass in the history of this podcast than Jason saying, hey, Cody, could you talk Could you talk about French New Wave? He nailed <laughs> like, it, too. I know. Like, Cody, Cody knows 10 times more about cinema than I do. It is very apparent. I think if I was in public and somebody said, hey, Aaron, you watch a lot of movies. Can you talk about French New Wave for a little bit? I think I would hit that person in the throat. <laughs> I, 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 I know, I know, I know Cody well enough to know that he was ready there with his catchers, Matt. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know, I know, absolutely. Uh, I'm wow. just like, oh, and God. a sports reference. Holy shit! Wow, Listen, you are, this is really me. Cody's episode. Yeah, <laughs> French New Wave is so impenetrable. I feel like even if I had watched like a hundred French New Wave films, I think it would still scare hundred blows. Uh, uh, what's up here? <clears throat> Sorry. Um, Cody made something click into place really well, uh, with his characterization of French new wave. Um, I don't know. You didn't. Yeah. You did say this explicitly the, the way that like characters may not have conventional relationships to, uh, to plot or to each other, but, um, that only heightens the sort of overall thematic notion at play in the narrative to the point where the theme sort of becomes the main character or the overarching power that's being exerted on these characters. I'm thinking of like, uh, we've talked about Almodovar movies doing that a lot. Um, I'm thinking of like Moonstruck um, and Chunking Express and uh, Fallen Angel are are brilliant examples of that. Um, I think even the, Wong Kar Wai has said before that the character or the main character of both of these movies is Hong Kong itself and the pressures that Hong Kong exerts. Um, that that makes a lot of sense and that characterizes the the characters really well here and it's really interesting to me that this this movie is still two stories because in in my mind and, and maybe i can make this pitch uh after cody i hear what you have to say but in my mind these these are another example of like inverse stories um where i think that uh that takashi kanashiro's character ho chi mo and uh wang chi ming um leon lee's character the killer um they're sort of like on opposite ends of the spectrum and understanding their uh narrative courses through this movie is sort of how we come to understand what what in my opinion one car is saying sort of with the overarching idea here um and that that makes it so that like you said in a very like unusual or, or non-conventional new wave type way you understand these characters and their relationships to one another without understanding or without their having a relationship to each other right the relationship doesn't exist within the actual filmic space it only exists in the thematic space or rather not in the narrative space but only in the thematic or filmic space um which is very new wave and very sort of um very Wong Kar Wai and um and like integrates super well in the sort of like form meets theme sense because this is also a movie that's explicitly about partnerships that are important but never actually like consummated or realized um and that's so interesting to me uh i realized i had forgot to note something that brings us back to Wong Kar Wai maybe the best and uh Harry your your comments there i think sing with that uh super well so thank you for that um the yeah, I I think one of the one of the big things that we can use to tie that movement onto like the works of Wong Kar Wai is that the arcs that we see may end up being 
super mundane and like we may find them to be ultimately not important at all like to the to the scope of the movie to the scope of these characters and their journeys um you know it may not be the people in general like who we've spent all this time with that we should be taking lessons from it might be the city itself that we're taking lessons from it might be the way that these characters are different or similar to each other that we're supposed to take lessons from um and the like the way that these a and B plots are not really A and B, but the the way that these two stories are integrated or not integrated. I know, um, you know, it was kind of characterized up top. You know, we we don't necessarily sh- like having uh, spent some time with uh, Wong Kar Wai in his movies. We shouldn't necessarily bank on there being explicit ties between threads, and I, I still think that is very very true. What we get with the, I mean, like with the 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 killer and the killer's agent, their story, they're characterized up front as being partners and like that's how they're defined that's how we come to know them and i remember watching like you know the first 15 minutes them saying they're awesome narrations me writing all of them down thinking oh these are gonna be great like ending quotes for the pod and then they kept saying cool new shit and i had to keep writing more stuff and talking <laughs> the movie. It was very annoying um and as that partnership began to fracture and it became clear that this was going to be no more, I felt like I knew each of them less because they were like, they're, they're the, the way that like the way that we come to know them is through their partnership. When that partnership doesn't exist, like, the, like Wang Chi Ming is a, a dude who sees women in like not great ways. And ultimately I don't know a whole lot about him beyond that. Whereas with, um, with, with Ho Chi Mo, um, you know, he, he he's by himself he doesn't have uh, a partner when we uh, quote unquote partner when we first see him he sort of finds himself at night he latches onto different activities different jobs different people latches onto anything hoping that he's desperate for it right exactly yeah he's hoping that something or someone will kind of latch onto him back and like eventually he kind of gets that um he well he gets that job at the restaurant and then by the end of the movie he's sort of found a, a different partner and that's where the two stories like kind of meet that sort of inverse relationship as you noted and it's you know it's not you know Wang Chi Ming is painted as uh one of the protagonists of this story but it's not like you know his 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 arc maybe fuels something else that we're supposed to take away from this even if we don't come to know him that well um yeah i'll i'll cap it there really really well said um there's one really interesting scene it's it's sort of a um an understated scene uh in terms of its importance but i think it characterizes watching ming really well and it's when he's on the bus after his hit and he meets the guy from his high school and he spends the entire conversation trying to get out of the conversation and trying to sort of like emotionally mentally distance himself from his past and his past relationships that characterizes how he is with all relationships right is that he doesn't want to be tied down he doesn't want to let people in he doesn't want to be defined by others even it turns out by his partner because that would be too much work because it turns out that allowing yourself to be defined and define others is actually it's work, right? It's like labor. And he's a lazy person who doesn't want to have to do that. And so he begins to back out, even though the rest of the characters in these movies are characterized by their their desperation to connect with something because they don't have anything else to connect with. The great irony of uh, Wachi Ming's character is that he's a pretender and actually does have a history and a grounding in a way that these other characters have lost or don't have, right? Like he literally comes from somewhere. He has high school friends or like high school, uh, like 
past and could be not so different from them and probably on the inside isn't so different from them to the point where there's the, there are these great understated narrations where he talks about the logistics of being a hired hitman like it's another job right he's like ah like this part's kind of a pain in the ass when i when i go too long without working i have to take up debt collection and that's kind of annoying and uh I got to dig out bullets from my body every now and then. And I don't know why this is happening to me more and more often, but like the money's good. And I've got this, this partner, I guess. And, and this is how we do this thing. And it's, it's also, it's like, he's talking about, um, being in finance, right? He even talks about, he calls debt collection finance. And so like, that's a really good character piece to him. And it, it like characterizes, um, Ho Chi Mo's character really well, who uh, I really want to talk about more, but I'll see what uh, Aaron has to say first. Yeah, I was just going to say that I, I I talked a little bit before about kind of the 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 nature of knowing somebody and how you can do that by by viewing uh, you know their, their physical possessions and their intimate spaces and whatnot. I think this movie is also about how modern society kind of strips humanity from people and and. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, it's the, what happens when you try and get to know somebody who maybe isn't actually a person um, where like uh, uh, Wong Chi Ming is like not really a person. Like he carries around these, these kind of uh, you know, he carries around pictures of a kid that he says is his to people that ask him uh, a wife that's not actually his. Um, and so he has all of the kind of uh, uh, signifiers of right. being, of having a family and a life, um, but he doesn't actually have any of those things. And like part of the, the tension here is that, uh, you know, his partner wants to get to know him and know who he is, but he is not actually a person, right? Yeah, like he does. Not, well, and I mean, like, like maybe the, yeah, right. Maybe the most obvious part of that is that like he treats mass murder as a job. Right. And like has absolutely no sort of moral compunction about it. Like he, he, the dude like literally just walks into Mahjong parlors and blows away like a dozen people. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. Although I do think that there is maybe this is me trying to like. While talking about it, square this with some kind of general theory of like alienation. But I do think that that Wong Kar Wai, at least in, in prior films, uh, a lot of his characters who are not defined by by some sort of criminal lifestyle are often afflicted with the same thing, <clears throat> same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, all the characters in Chunking Express and all the characters yeah. in this, it's even literalized in the form of mental illness in this, right? Just this this idea that like Hong Kong has stripped some fundamental understanding of who of what life is and what they should want and who they are from them. Like all of these characters are similarly characterized by that alienation. I think that's a hundred percent on. Yeah, yeah i i would I would love to know Wong Kar Wai's personal politics. Uh, maybe I'll Google it in a bit. And get oh it. boy! But <laughs> I didn't. I don't. I don't want to go too go too far down like the, the the obnoxious theory hole. But yes, I think that is an interesting aspect of this film. Whether you're, you're saying that that perhaps if. Uh... If uh, Takashi Kaneshiro's character Ho Chi Mo owned his his own business, if he if he could uh, benefit from the fruit of his labor, he would feel less alienated from the city and himself. Uh, I would I would maybe argue that uh, this film uh, shows a lot in common with uh, 2019's Joker, and that's why I'll oh my God. responding to questions. Uh,
Um, I, I would love to talk about Ho Chi Minh and like like what a great nuanced character he is because like his his plot is so sad, right? Like because he is, which is ironic because he's ostensibly the happiest character. He talks about how happy he is, but we see that he is a, a character on the fringe of fringes, right? Like his sort of mental illness precludes him from participating in even the version of society that exists in this movie, right? Where he breaks into uh, businesses so that he can perform this sort of like grotesque simulacrum of being a business person where he he forces people to buy his products so that he can feel like he is being a businessman and making money and like he he steals a an ice cream truck and uh forces people to eat ice cream and then talks about how even though his ice cream is expensive he thinks this family's having a good time meanwhile the the like the phantoms of his trauma uh, afflict him around every corner right where he he talks about how his mother was run over by an ice cream truck and isn't it funny now that he's in an ice cream truck and like his dad is still alive and used to work at this place but it like it's implied that like maybe that was never really a thing either and his dad is also not so not doing so hot and like he doesn't actually understand how he's different from other people and how he can't connect with anything. And it's implied that his sort of literalized alienation is something that all of these characters carry around with them, right? Where like, there's something about modernity and the proliferation of communication technology and of being in a big city that has made human beings not no longer um, capable of existing uh, in their environments without alienation i mean that's what like fallen angels are right is like these are these are angels that are now in circumstances that are not correct for angels and we're seeing the sort of fallout of that i think that registers um hardest with uh ho chi mo and then later with um charlie um his would-be girlfriend who is uh similarly mentally afflicted and so um withdrawn into herself that she can't recognize anything and, and she lives in a in her own fantasy state right where she's making up um these dramas that she can enact over and over again with this sort of symbolic presence this blondie that is that is her sort of like better or her idealization and even when takashi kanashiro's character dyes his hair blonde to sort of symbolically suggest that he could be this idealization she can't see it and she can't see him and like there's something like deeply tragic about that and like that Wong Kar Wai is so deeply sympathetic to, and it's what makes um, uh, Wachi Ming's character, who rejects uh, relationship entanglements and rejects giving himself to people, even more sort of brutal and grotesque and worthy of derision, right? And like we we come to understand that through the association, which is really cool and really sophisticated. Yeah, absolutely. And the the stuff you're describing, I think, again points to a brilliant inverse relationship that these two uh, stories have with one another, these two characters, I guess, even um, like with Ho Chi Minh, the, I, I mean, right away w- with him, we get his sort of monologue about him being his own boss, the things he, he does at night, um, the, you know, his, his idea of working hard, all of that is undercut by images of him, like massaging and riding and pretending to, to fuck a pig. Right. Like it's yeah. man, like speaking of which Wong Kar Wai's politics, not subtle. Wait, like, wait, he's not fucking a pig. No, no, no. Uh, he humps it at one point. No, he's right. giving it a massage. Okay. okay. That, read that differently? There are a lot of things. Yeah. He's, uh, he's massaging a dead pig with his groin, Aaron. What the fuck? 
He's he fucking straddles he's, he's it. He's minding he, fucking he's, it, man. He is stretching its back. That is how he... All right. I'm, I'm, all right. Uh, I, I've had some maybe questionable massage experiences I'm going to think about for... Uh-oh. Uh, but but he, does, he knows this while he's, while he's reciting a, like, basically a bootstrap monologue, right? About how, like, well, I don't make a lot of money, but damn it, I get to run my own business. It's so funny. Right. And, you know, think about that relationship. The, the intentional... Uh, pulling back the curtain and saying, you know, this is what he says versus this is what's actually happening, or this is what this really means. Maybe it points to the the kind of sympathy that you mentioned that Wong Kar Wai might have for a character like Ho Chi Mo, and then you you pair that with, you know, on the other side, Wang Chi Ming. The as it's been brought up, he's a killer for a living. He goes into parlors, kills a dozen people, and that is not commented on at all. Um, you're you're kind of left, to, uh, you know. A, I guess with both uh, with both stories, you're left to sort of piece together. Okay, Ho Chi Mo, he has you know he's had traumas in his past. Um, at least we are hearing about him describe his describing his own interiority and also seeing these things play out. With Wang Chi Ming, we don't we're barred from that, right? Like unless maybe I'm mischaracterizing. No, it, but- exactly. I mean, like I I think yeah. because fundamentally he is he is about not wanting to be affected by other people, whereas like the the exact inverse is Ho Chi Mo, where Ho Chi Mo like lacks something that he's looking for, that he's trying to get other people to help him find. Right. And like, it turns out Wong Kar Wai is much more sympathetic towards that, even though like, like Ho Chi Mo lacks the lacks the ability to, to do that at first, although he finds it by the end of the movie, which is a really interesting thing I want to talk about. Um, yeah, I I quite liked the portrayal of uh, Ho Chi Mo. I don't like how I apparently have this weird gravelly thing to my voice. I don't know if it. Can anybody hear no, that? No, you sound good, man. You sound sexy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Harry. Um, I, I quite liked uh, Ho Chi Mo as a character. I, I am not some sort of expert on how uh, kind of uh, mentally ill characters should be portrayed. Um, so I guess take this with a grain of salt. But it seems like Wong Kar Wai is kind of uh, uh, walking quite a tightrope here in which he is portraying a, a, a character with a, a large variety of mental issues um, who... Uh, is is comedic certainly, but also kind of very deeply sympathetic at the same. He's time. so lovable. I think he's maybe the most lovable Wong Kar Wai character, right? Like, yes, and he he is lovable, but that is juxtap- juxtaposed with like very serious and like uh, often frightening kind of moments of of him interacting with with other people kind of out uh, in Hong Kong. I think specifically, I mean, a lot of people talk about the kind of sensual, kind of very vibey uh, uh, scenes in Wong Kar Wai's films. I think that that's true. Those are great. Uh, but for me personally, the the scene where he shoots a kind of handheld uh, videotape for his father and then shows his, and then his father yeah. watches it on his birthday is easily the, easily just the, the best, you know, set of scenes in a Wong Kar Wai yep. film, in my opinion. Um, oh, it is no. incredibly emotional. Yeah, it's just like... It was It was, was very, very emotional. Like, yes, I was like, okay, th- this is the shit right here. Um, and, and then that is followed up with a scene where he, like, maybe cuts someone's finger off. Uh, it's kind of unclear. Uh, but he maybe, like, kind of, like, not tortures this guy, but, like, uh, yeah. maybe well-meaning. But he, like... He, he arguably like like commits violence against this person um and it is like this this juxtaposition of uh like this very lighthearted sympathetic moment where you like you are being sympathetic for someone who i think kind of 
taking like a, a bird's eye view of it maybe does bad things from time to time. Uh, but you are still allowed to kind of feel the sympathy and empathy for them. And then as juxtaposed with like what actually happens due to these people being like not taken care of properly by society right. and also seeing kind of the negative impacts of that. And it, it, again, it's like this tightrope walk uh, between this character who is like comedic, but also their situation is very serious and there's like very serious scenes uh, in sympathetic scenes juxtaposed with, with scenes that, that kind of take another viewpoint. And it's, it's, it seems very hard to do. I think this movie pulls it off. Although again, really well, know. right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think so, too. And, and it's like it's not moralistic at all. Right. Like, I don't think that this movie passes judgment on anybody except for uh, maybe Watchy Ming, although it, like Watchy Ming, if his if his moral arc, if there is a moral arc there, it's not about the morality of, of his killing. It's about the morality of the way that he treats the people in his life. Right. And like not necessarily the fact that he's a killer so much as the fact that he discards people like punky slash blondie and like his agent um without <clears throat> trying to uh let them in or let them affect him um to talk a little bit about the ho chi mo scene that's so emotional and so good um it's also really important where he learns to do that right like after he decides that um all all businesses have their own emotions which is something he says so he stops breaking into businesses for a time he learns that after he um has this ill-fated relationship, one-sided relationship with Charlie, um, the the woman who is looking for uh, Blondie so that she can get revenge for her ex-boyfriend. That's all completely in her head. Uh, Ho Chi Mo helps her with like relish and falls in love with her for the first time. That's how he gets to this place where he sees that that uh, storefronts that businesses have their own emotions. He comes to think of himself as a store and he wants people to enter him and to come inside him. He says that in one of the best monologues. Um, He takes up this job with a sushi chef and the sushi chef makes tapes to sell or to send to his family in Japan to let him know how he's doing. That's what gives Ho Chi Mo the idea. So, so again, we get this sense that like Ho Chi Mo is learning things from the relationships that he fosters. He still doesn't understand it very well, right? Like the, the tape that he makes of his father is, hilariously poorly done because he's swinging the camera around. He's, he's jumping around like a, like an ape um, trying to look up his dad's pants uh, and like doing crazy zoom ins, turning the camera around on himself. So like, it's, it's a ridiculous tape, right? But his dad watches it and has this genuine emotional response to it. And then his dad passes away and he watches it and he has a genuine emotional response to it. And so there's this, this implication that like, maybe we, we don't have, like the ability to actually understand ourselves or what we're doing, what we're affecting and how we're being affected anymore because nothing feels right, but it can still happen. Like you can still learn how to do something, how to to form connections through your relationships. And then those, those connections, those relationships and the things you learn from them can create genuine feelings and genuine form, genuine forms of expression, um, which is a really like, and then he goes to the Midnight Express, which is symbolic of people who are ready to uh, collide with others, right? Like at one point he says that I rub elbows with everybody sometimes until my elbows bleed. And there, there we go. Like he's found a way, a way toward being able to connect with people again. Um, and that's juxtaposed with what Wang Chi Ming, who is trying to dissociate himself from everybody until his agent destroys him, right? Because it's it's not so simple to just affect people and then 
make a clean getaway. Yeah. What you're saying there is it slotted something into place for me, which is that like our relationship, like regardless of the dependencies and and independencies of these, of some of these characters, like I think we've established that uh, uh, Hochimo is more of a, more of a dependent character in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, the killer is, you know, disaffected sort of like drifter, not like the way that this movie presents that dichotomy of, I guess the the way that relationships can be a legitimate way to experience the world and life and the tools that you like earn through that. Like again, Hochimo uh, learning from another person how to run a camera so that he can experience life more fully with his father and document it. And then later, once his father's gone, he's able to experience that himself because he noticed that his father was able to. Yeah, um, and it gives him a it gives him a legitimate grounding, like exactly. the one that that um that Wachi Ming had that he rejects at the beginning. But like now, like uh Ho Chi Mo can begin to understand his place in the world, right? Because he has this artifact of it that he can interact with. Yeah, and it's that sort of dependency that I personally I know part of the Aaron Grossman or sorry, excuse me, I did this before perfectly. Aaron Grossman, Wong Kar Wai Film Department Quality Index. One of one of the things that removed a point from it was the fact that he needed somebody else to come in and clean it, right? And that falls under, like you were saying, the bird's eye view is sometimes not the greatest view to take of this or any movie, but bird's eye view if we're saying that that dependency is not something to be derided or questioned but just accepted as like a way to experience the world, a way to build your own toolkit for experiencing, uh, you know, what it like, if it's your heuristic for life, then that's fine. The fact that he needs somebody to come by and clean his shit is not, I'm just saying, raise your, raise your quality index point by one point for this apartment. I well, no, it. no, because she, I will not. that's, that's, it's symbolic of, of how badly she wants to connect with him right like she literally breaks into his apartment and cleans it up and then masturbates there because she wants to feel connected to him so it's 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 symbolic of his rejection the fact that he she has to come in and clean that up right the fact that he doesn't let her in the fact that that um that they want to be distanced from one another and that's mostly on him Jason, I, I will remind you, look, you, you just made a great point, but I, I do feel the need to remind you that the Aaron Grossman Wong Kar Wai Film Department Quality Index is is not a subjective measure. It is, it is backed by science and statistics uh, and data and criteria, and uh, it is objective. So, uh, so I'm sorry, it's a six. Yeah, facts and logic facts. do not will not actually uh, respect my emotions. Yes, uh, I'll quickly say that I did, maybe this is kind of reaching, but I did v- read into the scene, uh, with Ho Chi Mo and the, the videotape and whatnot. Um, I think that, that, uh, I think thematically that ties into, uh, you know, kind of Wong Kar Wai's, uh, uh, his kind of look at how, uh, changing technology and whatnot enables and, and sure hinders kind of uh, personal uh, connections and relationships and whatnot. I also read that as like a, his own kind of commentary on filmmaking. Hard not to, right? A hundred percent. Maybe that's just like uh, year, years of watching the Academy Awards uh, at this point And just like every single time there's a movie in a movie, it's like, uh, oh, all right, I see what they're going for here. But like, I definitely read that into that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if that kind of stuff also kind of comes up even more in his films down the line. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's pretty explicitly that, right? Like, I think it's even it's even uh, Wong Kar Wai saying that like 
you know, it's, it's trite to say this, to say that like every director thinks of filmmaking as therapy, but like, like it could be Wong Kar Wai suggesting that like, I'm, I'm trying to understand these things through these movies. Like I'm trying to understand why I feel this way or why I don't feel this way or what this means to me. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just about tapped out with my thoughts. I know we're coming up on time. I would just like to say that like, in terms of continuing the, Wong Kar Wai thesis. This is is such a good movie for that because it it like really demonstrates how um, interior relationships really are. How like it's actually all about something that you want and how you want to be expressed. And how like Wong Kar Wai is like not saying that that's wrong. He's just saying that that there should be some reciprocation and some understanding of giving and taking. Um, and that's that's where these two characters at the end of this movie. Um, Ho Chi Minh and the killer's agent end up right. Like she, she's a person who wants to affect and be affected. Um, she wants to be unforgettable the same way that Blondie wanted to be unforgettable. Um, that comes up over and over again, as it did in Days of Being Wild. Uh, interestingly, um, and uh, meanwhile, Ho Chi Minh is a character who who would love to integrate into somebody's life who is desperate to. And so they end up, this is like a, a sort of like long coming to the, the start of a beautiful friendship uh, in the, that sort of classic sense. Um, and that, that really like demonstrates the thesis of Wong Kar Wai about how like actually like romance and personal identity and yearning, they're all about like who you want to be and, and like how you want to see yourself and like how other people can help you with that or how they might be necessary for that. And that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I think my uh, uh, and I think I'm generally more positive on this film than I have been, and not that I've been super negative. I don't, I don't think uh, as tears go by, I didn't love, uh, maybe didn't didn't like, but like I, I like I've liked the Wong Kar Wai movies we've seen so far. I think like one like very small nitpick in the back of my brain is that I would kind of like to see Wong Kar Wai maybe move away from this thematic content a bit. I, I think that a lot of it is just the uh, the way in which I'm, I'm watching this film and also the fact that it's, uh, very referential to Chungking Express. Um, but I, I think that I, I would like to see him kind of tackle something else. And and my understanding of his filmography is that, uh, he has kind of later on, I think badly with my Blueberry Nights and maybe a little better with the Grandmaster, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where it goes from here, kind of in the set of films that we're watching uh, and to see like, is he kind of staying with this vibe or is he going to kind of branch out more in the future? Not that he needs to, but yeah. It's almost like, like Wong Kar Wai's movies could all be part of the same Wong Kar Wai cinematic universe, right? Like it, it's clear that these characters inhabit the same like world and you can even make that argument for days of being wild and um as tears go by like it's all the same place you want to see him go outside the Wong Kar Wai cinematic universe yeah I, I want to see I want to see the the uh uh I was gonna make a Marvel joke that's just uh, I, I yes I want to see the venom would, you want to see the venom I would like yeah I would I would like to I would like to see uh Wong Kar Wai what I'm saying is I always like to see Wong Kar Wai do a superhero film I think that well, talent wait, you, uh, you could watch Ashes of Time which is a, a Wuxia movie yes. he made before Chunking Express that is apparently literally incomprehensible <laughs> uh yes uh, I mean I I get I have referenced it earlier but I could also watch My Blueberry Nights which is supposedly uh, dog shit it's supposed uh, to be not very good yeah supposedly very bad i probably will just because we're watching yeah. like 80 percent of his movies like i'll just knock out the other two but anyway 
uh, only because Ashes of Time was brought up uh, the other day. I did watch the Eagle Shooting Heroes, um, which has the I think the the same cast as Ashes of Time, and it was made because they had a budget surplus for that movie. Um, and Wong Kar Wai didn't direct <laughs> the Eagle Shooting Heroes. Um, wait, wait. It, so, so it's like, so it's like, ah, shit, boys, we got we got some extra. <laughs> let's make another. Let's make another movie. <laughs> they were like forced at some point to make this, and it's like a spoof of that same story that Ashes of Time is based off of. Um, I'm not super knowledgeable on that, but it is incomprehensible in what I am uh, like gathering is the the same way. Um, bizarre movie to watch, but it, it's on the Criterion Channel. Um, and worth. I mean, worth your 100 minutes for sure. I would like to watch Ashes of, Ashes of Time? Ashes of Time at some point. Ashes of um, Time, baby. I, I, yang. Th- look, I brought this up and, and nobody was vibing with it, but like, this is absolutely the part of like Hong Kong filmmaking I just do not fucking understand. The, the Ashes of Time is a is an inspired by or like a take on uh, the Wuxia novel, The Legend of the Condor Heroes. The movie that Cody just referenced, The Eagle Shooting Heroes, was made with like, yes, like extra funds and whatnot, and is a parody of the same novel that came out. How does this? Yes. I don't literally don't understand how any of this works from like a business standpoint. It is incomprehensible. If, if, you, if you're if you're, so. you're going to make if you're going to make something in Western filmmaking that is referential, that is uh, sort of not original, you need to pretend that it's original. Parodies. Don't do super well in the States. Don't do super well in the Western world because they are billed as referential. They are billed as commentary on the original thing. And people want to pretend that they that they want original stories. And they, they don't get that, but they don't know that they don't get that. It, it seems that in Hong Kong cinema, or at least it was as of the time of these movies we're talking about, you're able to slip that by because it's like, oh, look, you like this movie so much. You would also like this movie. You would also like this movie. The parody came out a year earlier than the actual movie. Anyway. Okay, that makes no sense. Never mind. Well, it's it's I love that kind of stuff because it's like it's like this little like peek into uh, a culture and a history that we're totally ignorant to, right? It's just like that that must have made sense when it happened. And so I would be fascinated to know why and how. I've um, five Wong Kar Wai movies. Why do I not understand all of Hong Kong uh, film culture? Uh, <laughs> Uh, before we get into the final, our final segment, I need to do my weird new segment to go over my ongoing feud with um, one Roger Ebert. Um, although he does get our oh, asses yeah. extremely well this time around, so I have to tip my hat to him. In his review of Fallen Angels, which he gave a three out of four, so fuck him, but he said... Quote, it's kind of exhausting and kind of exhilarating. It will appeal to the kinds of people you see in the Japanese animation section of the video store with their sleeves cut off so you can see their tattoos. And to those who subscribe to more than three film magazines and to members of garage bands and to art students. It's not for your average moviegoers unless, of course, they want to see something new. So... First of all, Roger Ebert, just too square to understand Wong Kar Wai movies, I think. Just too square. But also, he did get RS extremely well with both that I, garage band reference and that yeah. Japanese anime reference. He's very clearly not a cool guy, but at the same time, incredibly right. <laughs> I I uh, I'm going to st- I'm going to start a, uh, a a counter bit to Harry's new bit in which I slightly defend Roger Ebert's reviews of the movies that that Harry is uh, shitting on. One because yes, we all got owned, uh, but also like you know I look I like these movies. I'd give this one a four out of five on Letterbox. Maybe I'll get around to well, it if I, I remember. But like yeah yeah yeah. Like yeah, I said, I, I, like I said, he, he's right. He's he's got my number. That's fine. That's fine. I'm ready this for is, that. This is at least a four and a half. 
I'd give it a six if I could. Uh, I think, I think that, yeah, puts us, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if that bell was supposed to, um, Oh, that was our boxing bell. Our, t- like, our, our, yeah. our aha. I'll have to find that one. Dig back into the try love archives. Uh, is that everything we wanted to talk about? I do believe so. Excellent. Well then, Harry, it's yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it is time then for us to ring in our final it's- segment. Our final segment known as <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Ooh, he got some vibrato going there. I don't know if anybody else heard that. Uh, tune in or rewind this episode to, to find out. Um, in any case, thank you, as always, gentlemen, for that uh, warm introduction. Uh, this episode does indeed mark a midway point through hashtag Wonkar Watch, uh, which feels like as good of a time as any to dig into the life and times of the man himself, Wonkar Wai, uh, as a tribute to his upcoming box set release, uh, and as a nod to our meager Twitter account, I'm rolling this out as the long-awaited Wonkar Wai game show. Um, Let's go. Uh, the rules are simple. Uh, this game is comprised of questions about Wong Kar Wai's career, his relationships, his, um, etc. Uh, I'll go through these questions one at a time and collect responses from each of you. The person with the most correct responses at the end wins the grandest prize of all, which is bragging rights on social media. Aaron, if he wins, will have to come off his Twitter break to brag about this. Um, I understand what's going on here. Um, use your noodles, not your Googles. Do not make me invoke the patron saints of Trivia Mafia. Um, I'll read the questions and address you all in alphabetical order by first name. So Aaron, Harry, and then Jason. Um, one tip for everyone, stay loose, have fun, and don't worry so much about being right. Uh, because in this game, there are only Wong answers. Uh, with that being said, we can get started. Um, so first up here. Uh, our first bit of trivia comes to us from the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, during their 24th annual awards ceremony, uh, which was held on March 27th, 2005, they unveiled a list of the best 100 Chinese mo- uh, motion pictures, uh, a list that actually includes 103 films, um, which is weird. Uh, and they did this as a means of uh, commemorating a century of Chinese cinema. Wong Kar Wai is the director with the most films on that list. How many films directed by Wong Kar Wai appear on the Hong Kong Film Awards' list? of the 103 best Chinese films, uh, starting with Aaron. Um, five. five. And how many eyes is in five? Five. Five eyes. Okay. Um, Harry. Uh, mm, seven. Seven for Harry. Jason. Five eyes is what they called me in high school. Um, we're going to go nine. We're going to go nine. What was the nine. fifth eye, Jason? Sorry, what year was this list? 2005. Oh, good question. Okay. What was the fifth eye, the fifth eye Jason? Uh, what's the answer? Hey, bud. <laughs> uh, the answer to what is the fifth eye, um, we'll find out probably off mic. Um, so Wong Kar Wai steamrolling the competition came away with Six films on this ah, list. Ah, shit. Yeah, fuck. Um, so, I mean, Wait. I don't know how you want to do Aaron and Harry. Yeah. Uh, okay, one point. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. We can do that. Uh, I didn't have any tiebreakers built in, so I think that's that's fair. Um, my, you're, my you're, post- just, just warning, guys. You're starting off on the wrong foot. You're literally creating a joker over here. Yeah. 
this uh yeah cody's noties is known to have joker jokerfied uh many um unsuspecting uh, participants in the past um as a postscript to this question i can say this list is uh it's very uh, i'll say juicy maybe because it is with a 2005 perspective so there's some wild um not necessarily entries, but just the way that they're ordered. But it is also very fun to read through. I would recommend looking it up. There are a handful of um, blessed uh, Letterboxd users who compiled those films into lists. We'll link to it. Uh, sure. Yeah, we can do what's, that. What's the number one, Cody? Can you spoil uh, it? Um, it is, uh, it's a film from 1948 that I don't remember the name of offhand, oh. but yeah, it's, it's a list that's very like rewarding of the history. Um, right. Of, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's not all not all of them will land with like us Western um, goobers, but um, but it's a very it's a very informative list uh, that I'm hoping to dig into. And uh, what are the six one car Y movies? Uh, to uh, click the link in the episode description. All right. for those. Um, I, I can only hold so many noties in my head, um, but I regret not memorizing those. Um, all worthwhile picks, as far as I can tell, um, and some of which we haven't covered yet. Uh, but moving right along to number two, uh, we're going to stick with the Hong Kong Film Awards uh, for this as well, because awards offer some quantitative measurements that are particularly useful and easy for trivia games like this. Um, as was the case with Maggie Chung, Wong Kar Wai has been nominated for a buttload of Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, in general, he has a probably a very well-decorated wing of his mansion dedicated to his fun little movie trophies. Uh, I'm going to let... Uh, that sounded more um, insightful than I wanted. Uh, I'm going to list four films that uh, Wong Kar Wai earned. Uh, I'm going to try that again. I'm going to list four films that Wong Kar Wai earned a Best Director nomination for, and what I'll need from each of you is the number of times of those four times that he took home the best director trophy or statue. I don't know what they look like. Um, the films in question are days of being wild from 1990 previous episode, uh, chunking express 1994 previous episode, fallen angels, 1995 current episode and, uh, the grandmaster, which was released in 2013. Um, so again, the question is out of these four nominations, how many best director wins did Wong Kar Wai receive Aaron? Uh, one. One uh, says Aaron Harry. I believe I've seen this before. I might be talking on my ass, but I think one's a pretty good guess. So I'm going to go with two. All right. Two for Harry. Jason. Every hubristic. I'm going to go three. Three says Jason. Um, the breakdown is as follows. Uh, for days of being wild, he did win best director for Chum King express. He did win best director. Oh shit. Fallen Angels, he did not win Best of Director. And, and for the Grandmaster, he did win yes! Best Director. That puts him at three Best Director awards. Jason on the board. I got, I, got to go, I got to go to a mirror with some water. I need to wash this clown makeup off my face. I am no longer becoming the Joker. <laughs> uh, just just keep it on. We'll see how, how this hey, thing hey, turns out. Hey. Five yeah, eyes you is win for you. You may win Best Actor at the 2019 Academy Awards yet. Uh, hey, what, what the fuck? By the way, I, we don't. We shouldn't get into that right now. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Okay, hold me back. Hold me back. Sounded um, like Joe Biden there for a second. What, what was that? Like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, it, it's stupid that Joaquin Phoenix won for Joker. <laughs> uh, Harry is simply Biden. His time. Uh, we'll discuss this later. I don't uh, want to be associated with Joe Biden. Please, Joe. Thank Joe. You. Joe, first name Joe, middle name Kerr, last name Biden. <laughs> wow. 
Cody, oh, uh, we're getting scrolly again, and I love it. Uh, number three, moving right along here. Uh, continuing the trend of me using my uh, Chung Trivia Word document as a blueprint for the long-awaited Wong Kar Wai game show. For question three, I'm going to invoke the Rashomon rule, which is that no film needs to be longer than Rashomon, a perfect film released in 1950 and directed by Akira Kurosawa. Rashomon comes in at 88 minutes, so I ask you all, what percentage of Wong Kar Wai's directed films abide by the Rashomon rule and that they are equal in length to or shorter than Rashomon? Uh, the closest guess to the correct answer will get the point. Uh, quick point of clarification, IMDb cites a number of commercials and Christian Dior ads that Wong Kar Wai directed. These will not be included uh, for the purposes of this, uh, of this prompt. Um, I bet those ads are real sexy, though. I bet I'm going to watch those immediately after we're done recording. Um, but again, again, the question for our purposes here, what percentage of Wong Kar Wai's uh, non-Christian Dior directed films abide by the Rashomon rule? Uh, Aaron. Are you allowed to give me the overall, I believe, are you allowed to give me the overall number of films he's made so I can do some mental math? I am allowed to give you nothing else. Uh, are, are you counting the hand, which is technically a part of Eros and not a standalone film? Good question. Uh, uh, I'm well. Okay, I'm going by entries on Letterbox.com. The hand has an entry on Letterbox.com. Uh, I'm going to go with twenty percent. Twenty percent says Aaron Harry. Eight percent. Eight percent says Harry Jason. Fifteen percent. Oh shit. Fifteen percent says Jason. Of the 19 entries for Wong Kar Wai on Letterboxd.com, six of them fulfill the Rashomon rule uh, for a percentage of 31.5789%. Aaron gets the Wait, he doesn't have 19 films. He does not. He has like 10. He has feature films and short films, uh, and he has Christian Dior ads, which we're not calculating. Short films counted. Damn it. Oh, okay. I I used that when I made my guess. That's the important part. Sure. Um, in that, okay. So currently the scoreboard reads Aaron with two, Harry and Jason a piece with one. Um, the Joker crown is, is still in flux as far as I can tell. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, it's a jester's uh, hat, right? Yeah. Um, je- uh, insert bells ringing on a, on a jester hat kind of bouncing along. Uh, uh sorry to put more work on you, Jason. I'm riffing and squirrely moving along to number four, uh, where we're going, uh, here we're going to highlight some of the uh, extensive collaborations Wong Kar Wai has fostered over the years. Again, taking cues from Chung Trivia. Um, we're going to stick with uh, the following three actors, Maggie Chung, uh, Tony Lung Chu Wai, and Andy Lau, Officer Andy himself. Welcome back to the show. Uh, of these three actors, which of them has acted in the most Wong Kar Wai directed films? Again, Maggie Chung, Tony Lung Chu Wai, and Andy Lau, uh, a.k.a. Officer Andy. You do not need to give numbers. You can just give the uh, the name of the actor, uh, starting with Aaron. Andy Lau. Officer Andy. Harry? I'll go with Tony Lung Chu Wai. Our Tony Baloney and Jason? I got to win or lose on my own terms. I'm going Maggie Chung. Maggie Chung. All right. So just to, to break these down here, Maggie Chung, at the time of this recording, uh, Hotly contested at the time of this recording, just so we have a timestamp. Uh, she has been in five Wong Kar Wai joints, as they're often referred to. Uh, Tony Lung Shu Wai has been credited for seven Wong Kar Wai films. And Officer Andy crazy. Lau, coming in hot, has been in a total of <gasps> two Wong Kar Wai films. So congrats oh. to Tony Lung Shu Wai uh, for coming out on top here. Tony. We grow stronger together, Harry. That's right, Jason. Hope you're still wearing that clown makeup. 
It's very. It's, I mean, he is currently he is losing currently, right? So. Yep. Uh, two, two, one for Aaron, Harry, Jason, respectively. Uh, we've got the last, the last one here, the finale of the long-awaited Wong Kar Wai game show. Ropes in some quotes from the famed director. Um, alleged quotes, and I'll say alleged a few more times here. Uh, similar to what we did in Smart Alec, uh, the Alec Guinness-centric trivia game that we all. Uh, vividly remember from five months ago. Uh, I'm going to read off a series of quotes, uh, three quotes specifically, allegedly uttered by filmmaker Wong Kar Wai. Two of these utterances will be for real, again, allegedly, and one will be not for real. Your task is to pick out the not for real one. So I'll read off uh, the three quotes and leave it to each of you to pick out the imposter, starting with uh, quote A. I have an image of Shanghai, which is quite different from other directors, I think. The story of Shanghai should happen in our homes. So that was quote A. Quote B. When I look at Fallen Angels, I realize it is not a film that is truly about Hong Kong. It's more like my Hong Kong fantasy. I want Hong Kong to be quiet with less people. And quote C. At film festivals, I put on my sunglasses and go to sleep because I don't want to see my films again. So which of those is the imposter, Aaron? I, I I am unable to live in, in a world where the third quote is not uh, by Wong Kar Wai. So I'm I'm going to go with the first one, I think. Yeah. All right. First Gary? one. Jason's sure. at a real disadvantage here going last. So I apologize, Jason. I think we can put an asterisk next to your defeat. If it happens, you could still redeem yourself. I'm going to go with the second quote. And I'm going to furthermore say, I think Cody's juking us out again. And I think that one's about uh, Chungking Express instead. Um, I'm calling my shot on you, Cody. Wow. Uh, uh, nobody has ever complimented my jukes that much. So thank you for that, Harry. Uh, Jason, uh, your move. I believe quote B is the Wong Kar Lai. <laughs> very very good um all right so the imposter uh the imposter quote is in fact quote a uh oh, fuck that's, you know a, Aaron, you, man i mean when you when you i tampered with this quote a little bit um just to, to contextualize it uh, the actual reading is <clears throat> I have an image of Shanghai, which is quite different from other directors, I think. The story of Shanghai should happen in back alleys. Back alleys, folks. Um, mm. yeah. Your uh, quote so yeah. is better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought I'd get into a little bit, you know, what, we, what we've what we been focusing on yeah, so it was, much. It was right. so thematically right. consistent that I right. had a hard time believing it was fake. It, I mean, it sounds stupid, but it sounded very, very real. <laughs> I guess that is a shout out to my jukes then still. Um, but in any case, uh, that leaves us with Aaron at three, Harry at two, Jason at one. Uh, Wait, I thought one. it was two, two, one. Aaron just got was, that. I just won. Wait, yeah. you you chose. Oh, yeah, a? you're right. He Damn. wanted C to be real, so he voted A. That's right. Uh, um, but yeah, that's, that's a long way to Wong Kar game show. Um, thank you for participating as always. Congratulations, thank you, thank you, thank you, Cody. Uh, I'll return to Twitter. Could somebody just uh, just put this maybe? From the- oh yeah, totally. Don't worry about it. I'll te- I'll definitely do that. Yeah, I'll do that too. I'll make sure that happens. Aaron won this. That's- yeah. Oh, for sure, dude. For sure, it's fine. Don't even worry about it. That is going to wrap our episode on Fallen Angels, a 1995 film directed by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, it is part of a streaming series of films, which I think by the time this episode comes out, will no longer be streaming. But I believe the Trilon has plans to keep them playing, uh, maybe to bring them physically. We'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and Trilon.org. Get tickets. 
uh, buy merch. Um, but if you go anywhere, wear your mask. And I hear wear two masks or something now because there's a variant. Uh, holy shit, the world is uh, complete. It's not even on fire anymore. It's just burning cinders. Not, there's no life left in it. Uh, but I am on Twitter at Nintendoofus. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, be safe out there, folks. Um, I've been Cody Narvison. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Um, I guess this is sort of the theme of the one car why watch be nice to women especially the women in your life jesus uh i've been harry you can find me at shiitake harry actually all you know what all women not not just the women in your life just treat treat women better i guess that's me i'm i'm the white knight i now i guess the reverse joker is that is that a reverse joker aaron is that a reverse joker uh i'm aaron grossman you can find me on twitter at rb please hashtag ebert was right On February 2nd, 2021, I ran into my first love again, but she seemed to have forgotten me. I guess I'd gotten too handsome.